Hello, and welcome to Adaptivist Live, Team Titans, the stories of people with unique perspectives on work itself, defining processes, building tools, and leading teams. My name is Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by co-host Jennifer Olin. Jennifer, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. I am glad to be here. Uh, you've been promoted from guest speaker to co-host and our interview subject, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I'm famous. Today's the day. It's it. Well, it is a great honor to introduce our listeners today to the CEO of Easy Agile, Nick Muldoon. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful pleasure to join you. Now, uh, our listeners might be interested to know that Nick is actually calling us from the future because he is mm. at the very top of the morning in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. We've just gone uh, just past 6 a.m. here. Yeah. 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 And uh, he's, a, he's a sport. He's got his coffee ready and uh, he's ready to tell us some stories. And the first one that, that because we, we're going to get to the Atlassian talk, okay? It's, it's inevitable with these things. But word on the street, and around the internet is that you spent some time at one of the most um, prolific social media organizations ever um, back in the day in Silicon Valley. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I spent, I spent a couple of years at Twitter in San Francisco. Mm. The, it was very interesting experience. Uh, some of the things that immediately come to mind are the number of engineers that we hired in my first 12 months there. So, so my role, I was brought on um, within the technical program management group to actually do agile coaching, consulting, training with product and engineering leaders and, and the various teams. And I immediately think, Ryan, about the... Uh, over 1,000 engineers joined us in those first 12 months, my first 12 months at, at, at Twitter. 1,000? 1,000. And then you had the associated, so Jennifer, you got like, the, that's 1,000 software engineers, and then you got the associated product design, sales, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, so it, was a, right. it was a very interesting experience from a company that was in, you know, put your foot on the accelerator and 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 get through an IPO, go public, um, and really hit the ground running. So it was a really interesting experience. I think that the like the term I've heard before is hyper growth, but that sounds a little <laughs> bit more like ludicrous growth. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of ludicrous in the sense that um, you know we were adding people so fast that you couldn't mm -hmm. actually you know digest and. And, and bring those people on and make them feel comfortable and at home and all that sort of stuff. And so you can imagine that you've got, I think of one particular situation where we had a, a senior engineer came on and very quickly we needed to build a team around a new thing. So they became a team lead. And then within another six months, they were kind of being asked to be a director. And, and not long after it was like, well, hang on a second. I signed up to be a software engineer, not a people manager. Like, what the hell am I doing? And they actually bounced mm -hmm. and they left the company. And it was, you know, there were just issues like that that, that were very hard to grapple with at such a, um, a high velocity of growth. Wow. So we've lost Ryan. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just stunned. Those numbers are I shocking know, right? to me. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think about onboarding four people to a team at once. 
Like, is that Which seems. So I'll give you awful. So my, my day one, my day one onboarding at Atlassian, I was joined by two other people. Mm-hmm. My day one onboarding at Twitter, I was joined by. There would have been in a in a room. You know, in a small seminar room, there would have been 35, 40 people on a Monday. And it got to the point where they were doing onboardings, not just on like Monday, but they were doing like Monday, Tuesday, presumably Wednesday, Thursday onboardings. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. And then um, the fact that you would, you know, you kind of exhaust markets at certain points and you build, uh, I won't say specializations, but you build areas of interest in different geographies. And there was an acquisition that Twitter had done in uh, in New York, and 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 that that you know you you build a team or you build a group really a number of teams around that particular area of interest, um, and so now you're trying to like how do you even share culture between San Francisco and New York and Seattle, which was like a mm-hmm. database and network level thing with hires from Microsoft and Amazon, and you know trying to to bring all these different backgrounds and cultures and bring them into something cohesive was a tremendous challenge. I, like, I feel bad that this is a podcast because, like, my jaw is just dropping listening to this. And I'm like, I, I can't even imagine what that atmosphere must have been like for you. So at what point... you Go ahead, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like, reflecting on it now, I have very different feelings to the excitement you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a tremendous challenge and an uphill battle. Um, but I guess there was a, a huge sense of excitement from everyone involved because the CEO at the time, Dick Costolo, had really mm-hmm. aligned everyone around this vision of a global town square. Um, and and so, you know, th- there was this, this North Star that we were all trying to head towards. But actually from a group and a team and a sales marketing, engineering, product perspective, there really wasn't cohesion beyond mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the, the high-level North Star, and, and that was the real challenge. Um, yeah. And, and ultimately, I mean, we, we spent a couple of years trying to push stuff forward, and then Dick Costolo, um, you know, he, he departed and, and Jack came back. Uh, mm. So it was, it was, you know, and it was interesting to see the different leadership styles between those two as well. What's your biggest takeaway? Someone says that you're at a party and someone's like, what did you learn at Twitter? What is your one lesson that you can bring? I learned not, I learned how not to scale a business. <laughs> right? But, yep. And you know, in, in all seriousness at Atlassian, yeah. how to scale a business and at Twitter, I learned how not to scale a business. And mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, I often reflect on that and I try to I try to bring in, you know, lean principles and pull and build quality in and how you know, how could we have done this yeah. differently if the leaders had exhibited different behaviors? Mm-hmm. And I I always kind of like try and replay that and think what would have been different. So, looking at what Twitter has become, right? Mm. Um were you, was the North Star you were heading to the right one? It's interesting. You should ask. I watched, I watched the trailer last night. A friend, well, actually, one of my colleagues at work, um, Matt, he uh, shared with me 
um, he shared with me the trailer for the not the social network um, a, a new Netflix documentary called the social something something and mm-hmm. and they're actually interviewing some of the people that I worked with at Twitter and they are reflecting on their time at the same time you know I was there reflecting on what we were hoping to achieve at that stage versus what has actually transpired a number of years later. And I think the overwhelming sense is probably that the algorithm and tuning the algorithm to get eyeballs, you know, if you just go to public market and the public market statements, when Twitter went public, we talked about timeline views. And the whole timeline views thing was how many people, how many times you're, um, you're loading that timeline. But of course, what we did is at a certain point, we changed it so that your timeline just streamed forever. Mm-hmm. The timeline views was a metric that we had to teach Wall Street not to focus on because <laughs> it no longer had any significance. Because there was only, you load the app and you only ever have one timeline view and the timeline goes forever. And why does the timeline go forever? Because you want them to engage forever. And so the competitors aren't, I mean, the competitors are obviously Facebook and the competitors are Google Plus, mm-hmm. which kind of went nowhere. And But the competitors are TV. The competitors are broadcast television. The competitors are ESPN. Mm-hmm. The competitors are, you know, the competitors are going bushwalking. Right or going to the lake, you know, or, or walking mm-hmm. on the Statue of Liberty. That's the competitor. I don't want you to do any of those things. I want you glued to your device, and this is your world right here. And and you and 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 incidentally, your world right here is not the world that we would share together, Jennifer. If we walked, if we mm-hmm. both walked around the Statue of Liberty together, we both see a different right. of it because of the algorithm. So yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would optimistically, I would chalk it up to excitement about technology and what can be done with technology. Reflecting on it today, it's a very insidious and uh, detrimental approach to capitalism and building up value of companies. What was the final straw for you? Why did you bail? Why? What got you out of Twitter and to Atlassian? Ah, it was the other way around. So... So mm. actually I, I started, um, so I've been, I was an Atlassian team member and I started out at Atlassian in 2007 uh, as a, a pre-sales engineer, then became a pre-sales team lead, then went on to product management. And then the oppor- we were trying to hire for a product marketing person for Agile and we weren't having much success. And that was to be with the marketing team in San Francisco, not in Sydney. And mm. ultimately um, we with, with Daniel Freeman, who was the head of marketing, and Ken Olufsen, who was heading up the Jira marketing, um, we made the opportunity and, and made the decision for my wife and I to relocate to San Francisco, and I'd step into that role. Even though I didn't have a background in marketing, I had the agile experience, and, and we felt, well, Atlassian's got the, the marketing team, so we'll, together we'll be able to do this. Um, and so I was in San Francisco with Atlassian for 12 months, and one of the companies, one of our customers that I was chatting to was Twitter. And I went and I was, you know, I was super eager. Twitter was a big story. I wanted to get a case study. I met with uh, product managers uh, uh, and, and a, a bunch of folks at Twitter just to try and get a sense of what was going on. 
and I probably did overstep. I mentioned that I'm a bit of a broadcaster. I probably overstepped the mark and said, you know, this is ridiculous. Like you, this is the furthest thing from agile. Like this is chaos. And it was Mm -hmm. like Twitter was not a typical agile transformation. Most agile transformations are large enterprises that are trying to go from waterfall to agile, from very rigid bureaucratic processes to agile. Twitter was the opposite end of the spectrum. It was complete and abject chaos. And they were Mm -hmm. trying to bring some semblance of uh, stability and discipline to what they were doing. And, and so the, the opportunity came up to actually join Twitter and, and help them on that journey. So I was a, an Atlassian team member, then an Atlassian customer at Twitter, and now onto an Atlassian marketplace partner at Easy Agile. So it's been a bit of a journey through three different personas related to Atlassian over the years. Wow. Okay. So um, what is your relationship with Greenhopper? Can you, yeah, can you so, regale us that? Yeah, so Greenhopper... Um, when I was in the role of pre-sales team lead at Atlassian, we had the team of four in Sydney and, and these were people that were responding. There was no outbound. It was responding to incoming customer requests. And what I recognised was that we had that team that I led had mm-hmm. no influence over solving the bugs or the feature requests or anything else that was going on. And so I chatted to Brett Jackson, who was the head of product at Atlassian at the time. I said, look, I'd love to, I want to get into product so I can influence some of these decisions. And, and what, do you, what do you recommend? And Brett, I've been super fortunate throughout my career that um, various people have taken an interest in, in assisting and accelerating my career. And Brett gave me a bunch of stuff to read from the likes of Rich Mironov um, and a host of others and basically said, like, this is your product management 101 get ready. Now, Brett actually bounced and left Atlassian. Audra Eng came in and shortly after Audra joined Atlassian, Atlassian completed the acquisition of Greenhopper. So Greenhopper was out of Montreal um, and, you know, there was really one person that was software development, marketing, support, sales, the whole lot. And so JC Hewitt, um, who you might have remember back from your Mindville podcast a couple of weeks back, you know, JC was part of the Mindville story. He was part of the Greenhopper story uh, in 2009. That I did not know. Yeah, right. So, so, uh, so JC, um, so we acquired Greenhopper. Audra was kind enough to offer me this opportunity with no product management experience to step into product management. And my first day on the job was actually at Agile 2009 in Chicago. And I met JC for the first time. I was there with a, a host of the San Francisco-based Atlassian team, and that was my really my my deep dive into the world of agile. Just you know, zero to one hundred, becoming the product manager of, of an agile product. Um, so it was it was a super exciting time. You know, like like you know, I guess mm-hmm. at Twitter. You know, at Twitter we had this huge growth in engineering team. At with Greenhopper we basically took an independent product and we back-ended it into an existing customer base. And so it went from a very small customer base to a very large customer base in 12 months. And, um, and that was a, a fantastic journey as well. Yeah, the, the acquisition of Greenhopper and the launch of Jira Agile were tremendous turning points in the, the Atlassian story. Mm-hmm. So that's just huge. It was launched as Jira Software or Jira Agile. And, and of course... 
if anyone oh. else is familiar with the history, Jira Agile yeah. became Jira Software, or Greenhopper became Jira, Jira, Software, Agile. Jira Agile. Jira Agile became oh, Jira okay. Software. Software. Yeah. Um, and so that that is a big. It's just a big turning point. It it and you had brought mm -hmm. it all the way from a Montreal based uh, mom and pop shop into yeah. this this burgeoning ecosystem. Tremendous. I mean, it was it was it was fun, right? So, so before Liz and I were married, um, when JC and his wife Valerie they relocated from Montreal to Sydney, and you know here they are, um, new couple in a new town. Uh, well, not new couple, but, you know, couple in a new town, three kids. And we, we'd go over to their place and we'd babysit the kids so that they could, you know, like, was that ever part of the, 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 the JD, the job description for a product manager? Not really. Um, but, but trying to, like, settle someone down in the team. And that, I think that was interesting because that was probably one of the earliest kind of clicks for me about servant leadership and what you can do in service of your team. And what does that look like? Um, and, and we've carried that through. Like, incidentally, Liz and I last week, we were looking after one of the team members here at Easy Agile. Um, the, uh, you know, his young boy, William, who's two years old, while his wife went back for an obst obstetrician visit for their second kid that's coming along. So, he, you know, we were doing it in 2009, and here we are, Liz <laughs> and I are still doing it today, looking after. I think you're just hogging babysitting gigs, man. I, I think you're just. <laughs> no, no, no way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was actually it was super challenging because our kids are a little bit older now, and to go back to a two-year-old, mm -hmm. it was a, it was actually a huge challenge. <laughs> cognitive cognitive switch. Anyway, that's a sidebar. <laughs> All right, so we heard about what you took away from from the Twitter experience. What are the big takeaways from that that time at Atlassian? Besides how to scale a business, of course. Of course, I believe that the introspection you know, that we are never good enough. There is always room to improve. That was such a strong trait that permeated everything we did at Atlassian. And Mike and Scott and the team at Atlassian, I was always sprinting to try and keep up. You know, these were the smartest people that I had had the fortune to work with at that stage in my career, right? Like they were just top of their game. And I believe that the lack of noise and distractions, there wasn't a VC industry in Australia. Mm. You know, it just, there, there wasn't all the noise and distractions of San Francisco. And so it allowed the teams to get on with the job. I remember walking through one of our customers, one of the Atlassian customers in San Francisco, and it was a games company. And I was doing, I was there doing a customer interview and I was I was astounded that on their wallboards, instead of having metrics around deployments, they had this, the stock price. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is such a negative thing because, I mean, look at the market volatility today. Can you imagine right. the, the sentiment? Have you, have, you ever, you've, have you heard of Nico Nico, this Japanese technique? You know, you kind of like, you assess the, the, the health, like the the mental health of a team member when they come onto the, onto the shop floor or the work floor in the morning and again in the afternoon. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's where the whole NPS, like smiley upside, you know, plus mm -hmm. minus all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff came from. Um, but can you imagine doing that in that company on a good day? Everyone would be like, yeah, it was a great day. Right. It was a green board. Oh, market, market hit us. It was a bad day. 
But mm-hmm. what the market's doing is is three to six months removed from what's actually happening in the company. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think culturally that's what Atlassian had really strong was there wasn't this distraction, there wasn't this noise. It was, you know, lean operation because it wasn't VC funded. So you weren't pushing growth. You were being pulled by your customers and you were responding to the demands of your customers all the time. And I think that was one of the key distinct differences perhaps between Atlassian and Twitter upon reflection is Twitter was VC funded to the tune of half a billion dollars. And it was like pumping that money or even more like mm-hmm. pumping that money, force the growth. So yeah, you're forcing the growth rather than letting the organic growth take hold and your customers pull the growth out of you. It, it just sounds so nice um, to hear about, you know, teams being given the metrics and the, the atmosphere that they need to actually be teams and not sit there and say, oh, the stock price, that's mm-hmm. nothing I can control, but thanks for having that on the wall, helpful. Mm-hmm. Not at all helpful. That is the wrong audience. And it, it's it just hearing that is just always, it always is striking of the information being given to teams that's just not useful, yeah. helpful. It doesn't drive decision-making. It doesn't drive performance. And it certainly doesn't drive happiness. Um, so that was just interesting to hear you, you speak about that. You know, there were in both cases at Atlassian and at Twitter, there were huge aspirational goals that the mm-hmm. team had. Like, in, as I mentioned with Twitter, it was to be the global town square. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to control the global conversation. That was, well, they wanted to be the platform where that conversation took place. Yeah. Great. Um, in Atlassian's case, it was to be the Australian software company success story. Now, of course, mm. as you kind of hit something like the Australian software company success story, story, you have to keep evolving that vision because you become the Australian software company success story, and you go from the Fortune fifty thousand, you know, we want the we want fifty thousand customers to the Fortune five hundred thousand, and Atlassian's now at one hundred you know eighty thousand customers plus another one hundred and fifty thousand, you know customers that don't pay, you know, use their free products. So there's about 300,000 plus companies there. They're well on their way to Fortune 500,000. So where to beyond mm-hmm. that? And so I think this, the Atlassian was this continuous evolution um, and, and reflecting and learning and adapting. Um, that, was, that was such a strong cultural trait. One of the fundamental things that you've already brought up is servant leadership. Atlassian exists to help people do their jobs better, help teams deliver on their, their greatest, uh, their greatest ability where Twitter is not that, you know, who, who are they serving? Yeah. They're, 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 they're serving advertisers, you know, it's mm-hmm. very clear cut, right? Like I, I can't think who it was now, if it was near Eyal or, um, maybe it wasn't, but the, the commentary that, you know, if you're not paying for the service, you are, you are the product. Yep. Um, incidentally, when I was at Atlassian in San Francisco, I started hosting a meetup called the San Francisco Agile Marketing Meetup. And that was to bring together these two different disciplines like agile software development and traditional marketing and try and bridge the gap and make it more iterative. And uh, one of the early speakers that, that we had there was near Eyal. 
and he was talking about habit forming behavior and he used Twitter as an example of how Twitter had found a way to form a habit, you know, that, that people feel like they need to open their, you know, their Twitter feed in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night to stay abreast mm -hmm. of what's going on. And so that, and that was 2012, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. That's like the height of FOMO, fear of missing out. Like right, it just slid right in there and it just was perfect. Yeah. So how did all of this land you where you are now with Easy Agile? And what have you brought the good and the bad from both to where you are? Yeah, so Liz and I, we, my, my, um, my direct manager at Twitter, Steve Green, he, again, I have to say, like I've had some fantastic leaders over the years that have really invested mm -hmm. in me as a person, which I've been super fortunate to have. And Steve provided the opportunity for Liz and I to go with our, at the stage, nine-month-old baby daughter, um, to go and live and work in Zurich in Switzerland for a month and go to a conference and meet some, you know, meet people there and basically just do a bit of a sabbatical for a month. And living in San Francisco double income, no kids was a phenomenal experience. As soon as Orla came along, so she's now six, but as soon as she came along, you're immediately going, you know what, the grungy feel, like I really don't want you on the sidewalk, um, I, you know, and, and that grungy feel kind of, do we move out of, do we move out of San Francisco to Marin or, you know, somewhere else around the Bay Area? Um, where it's probably more family friendly. Anyway, we took this trip to Zurich for a month. And one of the things that struck us in the middle of winter, it's snowing and parents leave their kids in the pram outside the supermarket in the snow while they go inside and do a 15, 20 minute shop. And it just, you know, our experience in San Francisco was like, if you left the pram outside the Walgreens, the kid would be on the ground and someone would have mm. on the pram. Or, or, or they and would the have kid. the kid, right? Like, you know. Right, know yeah. But knowing how much my kids screamed at the time, they weren't going to uh. take the kid. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was not going to happen, right? Like, or, yeah. But it was a really, like, it was, it was a real awakening. And I think it just, it kind of said to us that, you know, living in, living in San Francisco and the commute, you know, I used to walk to, to the Twitter office or even and I walked to the Atlassian office and it was, we lived in the mission. It was such a vibrant part of town and it was fantastic before we had kids. But then having kids, it was like, you know what, we need to get closer to family. So let's go back to Australia. Coming back to Australia, though, to be closer to family, we didn't want to go back to the capital city. You know, San Francisco has got a slower pace of life than Sydney. And mm -hmm. so I go back there. So we chose this regional area in Wollongong, which is 90 minutes south of Sydney. You got the beach, you got the hills, you got bushwalking, <laughs> you got the farmer's market on a Friday. And, you know, it's a very small, well, 300,000 person regional community. But being here, there's no Atlassian, there's no mm -hmm. Twitter, there's no big software companies. And so the really the onus was, on, on myself and, and what became my, my business partner, Dave Elkin, my, the co-CEO at Easy Agile, 
um, who'd also been on a journey from Atlassian to San Francisco and, and back to Australia. It was like, what can we make here in this regional area? And how can we provide employment for people that don't want to go and live in a capital city? Now, of course, world turns on its head this year and Atlassian for the first time ever is kind of embracing remote work because that was never something that Mike and Scott were eager to do. Um, they were always hesitant to go down that path. Um, however, we've, what we've established here in Wollongong is we've, you know, we've established a team at Easy Agile of 16, soon to be 17, you know, then onwards. So it's a, it's a fairly small software company that delivers globally. You know, our customers are out of time zone. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to service 2,500 customers around the world and we can do it from a, a regional area in Wollongong and do it profitably. And so that's, that's really interesting. One of the other books that I think is totally worth a read is Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. And this has been a really influ influential book for Dave and I and the team at Easy Agile this year. And... It really so. Go back to your question, Jennifer. What would I? What, mm -hmm. have, what decisions have we made? We've chosen not to be VC funded or private equity funded. Yeah. And we made that decision because it kind of distorts the incentives. Our incentives are to build great software for our customers. Our incentives are not to make money at the expense of our customers. And mm -hmm. so that that means that you make choices like. We are grounded in a regional community. We are trying to provide employment to the local community and support the, you know, the, the beer that we buy is from the local craft brewer. You know, just little things like that that we're trying to do to support the local community. I think they are really important and I'm much more aware of those things and attuned to those things, having worked at companies that have IPO'd and that have scaled very quickly uh, and, and perhaps not as effectively as I would like to do for my own company. So you're not going to hire a thousand people in the next three months. That's not. <laughs> it's not. That's not the, a thing. Not on the agenda, Jennifer. Absolutely <laughs> not. Gosh, you know, no. But but even other like other decisions that we make. So we could. Mm -hmm. we, we don't. We don't really believe in contractors. We don't really believe in remote work. Mm -hmm. You know, we we are a co-located team. And we're a co-located team because I like to bother people. I like to go out and have lunch with them. You know, we, we've got a mm -hmm. business coach, Anna Samios, and she talks about the whites of the eyes. And I'm like, I, that's yeah. what I like. I like to be able to sit down and have coffee or have lunch with the team members and, and, and talk about, you know, their mortgage and their kids and whatever else. And that's the sort of business that we've chosen to operate. It also means that we're not up. So at Atlassian, we had a global, you know, we had my, my direct manager, Josh Wald, he was in Amsterdam and my peer, Giancarlo, was in San Francisco. And so I'd be up at, the, at 6 a.m. to do calls with Giancarlo and I'd finish my day at 10 p.m. at night with calls with Josh. And I'd go to the, you know, I'd go and play basketball in the middle of the day and go for a walk and have a snooze and all that sort of stuff. But it really, mm -hmm. again, it was a time of life thing. It's probably not something I'd be prepared to do today. <laughs> so yeah. having the team co-located in one time zone is really important, I think. So you wanted to provide local employment. You wanted to have a really community-focused company. But what were you looking to deliver to customers? Where did that come from? Oh, that's great. I mean, so this experience, 
In 2009, at this first Agile conference that I went to, I saw a talk by Jeff Patton, and he was talking about the practice of story mapping. And I, yes. it was probably eight months later that I first had the opportunity to put that into practice with the Green Hopper team at Atlassian. And we did a story mapping session for basically a complete rewrite of Green Hopper, which is what we ended up doing, and, and it became Jira Agile. And, uh, and so that was my first exposure to story mapping. And at Twitter, I ran, I ran these for other teams at Atlassian. And at Twitter, I ran these for a lot of teams to try and bring that shared understanding about who the customer is, what are you hoping to achieve? And so starting Easy Agile, it really became a matter of, well, what are the gaps that I faced at Twitter as an Atlassian customer? And, and especially at, at Twitter, because we did have teams that were distributed. We did have remote people, unlike at Atlassian. Um, and so how did we pull them all together? You couldn't just do it on a wallboard. I mean, you could, but then you're doing it over video conferencing and it's, it's ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? And so how can we provide a story mapping experience for a digital story mapping experience for distributed teams and, and teams that have remote team members? And so that was really the, the first step. And, and we've always been very customer-led. And then it was later in 2016 that we were having conversations with some of our larger story mapping customers and they were basically expressing well I, I remember one customer in particular and they just they just expressed it really clearly and succinctly and they said it's really hard to make a roadmap using the story map mm. and it was like this light bulb moment we're like well hang on but the, the story mapping and road mapping are like they're, they're they're different techniques and they serve different audiences like story mappings for internal for the team to understand and get a shared understanding road mapping is that external stakeholder communication piece. And why are you trying to, you're trying to shoehorn one thing into another. And so we started, we, we, we ended up releasing uh, Easy Agile roadmaps to complement Easy Agile mm -hmm. user story maps. And, and, you know, so that's a product that, that is still around today that, that is still a very popular product. And actually it did them, we found out yesterday, it did it, the most evaluations were on Easy Agile roadmaps in August. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I say that despite the fact that there's a lot of competition in that space from the likes of AHA and product plan and product board, advanced roadmaps, simple roadmaps, Jira portfolio, and a host of others. You know, it's a really busy space. Um, but mm -hmm. obviously it's something that's, you know, if you look at the state of agile survey that version one publishes, it's a pretty common agile practice. Although typically people go so far out in the future that you kind of wonder whether they're getting towards that Gantt chart mentality rather than something that is more agile. Um, and then I guess in 2018, our journey continued because we were having conversations with large customers of Easy Agile Roadmaps and they're saying, well, we're trying to do scaled agile transformations. And how do we, you know, how do we do our PI planning you know, you allow us to take story mapping off the wall and put the, you know, what is typically a, a physical activity for teams. You've allowed us to pull that off the wall. PI planning is another physical activity. Can't you, mm -hmm. can't you help us pull that one off the wall? And because typically what happens with PI planning is the team or the group, number of teams, they go away for a period mm -hmm. of time, you know, two days, and they come up with this huge you know, wall for, full of post-it notes and string and whatever else, and someone's job is to take that and put it into Jira, and then that, that artifact, 
that big physical artifact, maybe they take a few photos of it and it gets thrown in the bin and it's not mm-hmm. a living document. And there's no visualization that takes you back to that. And so that's where Easy Agile programs came along. Yeah. And, and so there, there's been this constant evolution for what our customers uh, are trying to achieve and how can we provide a solution to assist them. And it's been a really interesting journey and we, haven't, we certainly haven't got it right all the time. Um, but I hope the trait that we've got is that like Atlassian, we take this continuous learning, continuous improvement mm. mentality and we apply it to our, our company and our solutions to make sure that they're becoming ever more effective. I would love to hear what, um, how you think your experiences might have been different had your product that you create now existed when you started in the space. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, from a roadmapping perspective, in my time at Atlassian, every product manager had a different format for roadmaps. Mm-hmm. And, and there, was only, there was only 10, 8 or 10 product managers at Atlassian before I went to mm-hmm. San Francisco. So even then, it wasn't a huge audio, a cohort of people. But the way that we communicated with Mike and Scott differed for every product and every product manager. And can you imagine the cognitive load to try and, mm-hmm. like, normalize that in your brain? Yeah, people still like, do. Like, people, that still happens. Oh, you know, and, like, yeah, completely unnecessary, right, Jennifer? And then yes. you think about Twitter and, and running all these story mapping sessions, we would literally have the video conferencing camera pointed mm-hmm. at the whiteboard and we'd have someone in the room that was the scribe for the remote team members. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is mental. Like this is, a, yeah. you know, and, and this, is why, this is why our travel budget was so high because you just, it's easier to just fly people around the world and PI planning is the same. You know, we've got customers, we've got one customer in New York and they just, they gave us the figures outright. Quarter of a million dollars every quarter for one of their groups to come together because they're bringing people from around the world. Now, that's the direct cost in flights and accommodation to get the people to New York one, once every quarter, a quarter of a million dollars. So that's a million dollars a year for one group. That doesn't even take into account the time that these people are away from their families, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, like in my situation, if I was a product manager for that team and I had to go and travel and I'm away from my young kids for a week mm-hmm. or two. Four times a year. Yeah, four times a yeah. year. I, I mean, and, and then you jet lagged when you get home and oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So it's, it's really fascinating that there's this direct cost that everyone's been forced to, to save this year, which is great. Like their travel budgets and accommodation budgets have been absolutely cut this year that they just obviously can't travel due to COVID. Um, but it also means that they're trying to find ways to... to I mean, our biggest month ever in terms of evaluations for Easy Agile programs was in March. And sales yeah. have been on a tear. And it's because companies that have, been, that have been doing the status quo and doing the way that they've been doing it for so long have now been forced to find new methods of work. Right. And it's kind of exciting and it's scary because you go, what are all the middle managers that are just, tol- you know, toiling away, making sure that people are getting their work done. What are they doing now that everyone's remote? Do they really have a role? And how does their role evolve? It raises so many questions. Well, hopefully they're, they're providing some value. 
<laughs> hopefully, hopefully they're leaders and they're supporting their people, mm-hmm. the mental health of their people. Like go back to the modern agile movement and the the psychological safety. Yes, you know if that's what they're on and servant leadership, then I think they're certainly providing value. I really like that what you just explained is such an amazing balance of work life balance, but bringing quality to both sides. And I think that's that's an amazing vision to have and to work toward and to be passionate about. And so, yeah, I just, I just thought that was awesome. My, my co-founder, Dave, Dave talks about, he, he, we talked about work-life balance in 2016 and he immediately mm-hmm. pulled the plug on it. He's like, we're not talking about work-life balance. It's not work-life balance. Work is part of your life. Mm-hmm. It's family work balance. And for Easy Agile today, it's kind of evolved into self-community or self-family community work balance in that order. And the, the community piece is really important. And it's evolved really to add self in 2020 because maintaining the mental health of the team has become such an important thing. You know, whether you're cooped yeah. up at home with the kids or whether you're solo and you have no mm-hmm. interaction, this is now a big thing to manage. And when we were all coming together, it just you had that community feel at work. You got it for free, basically. And now we've mm-hmm. got to work a lot more at those things. So, yeah, the, the self, the family, the community, and then the work. I really, I really appreciate the humanistic approach that you're taking to this, to this whole thing. The philosophical implications behind it really do speak highly of your character. So that's cool. That's not something we see every day. Mm-hmm. What are the fundamental pieces of agile philosophy that are giving rise to agile techniques and principles being used outside of development? Why is that happening? Yeah, no, it does. It, it, I, I guess, I guess it's interesting to me. Like in my in my years from a product manager for Jira Agile to um, to working with teams at Twitter to working with our customers now at Easy Agile, there are people that try to do an agile transformation by the book. And so they, they don't have any experience with this. And the easiest place for them to start is to go, okay, well, that's what the Scrum Guide says, or that's what Lean Kanban University says. And I think the lesson that I've taken from, you know, over 10 years experience with respect to agile practices and, and lean principles is start with where the team is and just continuously reflect. And if you build that continuous reflection and take one thing to improve, that is, that is agile, right? That, I mean, at, the, at its core, it's the adaptability and the openness to change. And the, and the best way to do that is to frame things as an experiment. Because it can be really scary to come to someone and say, hey, you know, Ryan, I wanna change your title from business analyst to product owner. And Jennifer, I want to t- change the hmm. title from, uh, from um, program manager to release train engineer. Both of you have, you know, you, you have maybe 10 years or more tied up and that's your persona. You tell people mm-hmm. I'm a product, I'm a project manager. You tell people you're a product, a, a business analyst. And suddenly you're questioning your sense of self. And so what, like, why would I do a big bang transformation and change all these things at once wouldn't it be better to change little bits and pieces on an ongoing basis on an agile basis on an iterative basis and get to a better place as we learn and adapt and so if we frame it as experiments i think it's a really powerful thing 
And, and, and so if you look at it from that perspective, it's, there's nothing there that is specific to software development. There's nothing there that's specific to operations or anything else. Some of the most valuable conversations that I had about lean principles at Twitter were actually with teams like the physical security team, uh, the legal team, the procurement team, and helping them change and evolve the way that they work to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Now, we had this we had this great experience. I, I ran a retrospective. Um, Greg, I forget his last name now, but Greg was the person that ran, was responsible for all of the physical security at Twitter. Uh, and yeah, it comes with the territory, right? Like Atlassian hardly was a place that got a lot of threats, but Twitter was a place that anyway. They did a fire. They did a fire drill, and in the fire drill, you know, three quarters of the Twitter team members actually perished in the fire escapes, and and so we ran a retrospective to see, okay, well, like, what are the problems, and how do we, and and you know, it came down to fire doors, and and how do you balance the egress from the different fire escapes and all this sort of stuff. But what a great what a great technique, you know, to bring everyone together and to have that conversation not just lay blame on someone, right? It was a whole team effort to figure out. And then guess what? Let's run it again. And we're successful. You know, how empowering is that for everyone? Imagine that. It's worth noting that no actual Twitter engineers were harmed in the uh, (laughs) fire drill, (laughs) as mentioned. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. Thank you for just, yeah, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, Yeah, because I mean, if you had lost three quarters of the company the second time, uh, that would have been a company and a half that you'd lost in two fire drills. And man, my my math's not good, but that's too many (laughs) customers. That's that's too many colleagues. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What is the one thing, what is the one piece of advice you would give to teams? You were only allowed to walk in a room, lay down one sentence, and then you had to walk out. What is it? I want everyone to find something that they're passionate about and throw their whole heart, body, and soul into it, right? Like if your heart is not here and you're not feeling it for these customers, then that's cool. Like we will provide the support to help you find the thing that you really want to be doing with your life. I got, I, I'm, I'm 36 years old. Best case scenario, oh, not best case scenario, but statistically speaking, Mm -hmm. an Australian male has 87 years. So I got got 50 summers left. Now, if I've got 50 summers left and and presumably I kind of deteriorate in physical capability, I probably have 40 usable summers left. So what the hell am I going to do with the 40 summers I have left? And you know, and what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You better do something that you that you're passionate about, that where you're learning. Oh, I Tremendous. love that. I need to go think about my summers. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> I got to count them up. I don't know. Going to need an abacus. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, why would we spend years of our lives doing stuff that we don't love? I mean, I, I, like, I understand money. I, I get it. But, um, you know, you, you, you don't, you know, yeah. Wow. Yep. i got so many thoughts about that. I just, like, people have to, they, it's a journey. It's a journey. But how do you help your people? I, like, I, one, of the, one of the people in the team, 
I, I absolutely love him. The his capability to consume and incorporate into his mental model content is phenomenal, right? Now, the mm-hmm. challenge for him in particular is how does he disseminate that to the whole team? But I know where he's going and our, our paths aren't aligned, right? Like he wants, to, he wants to educate the world and help the world have this knowledge. He wants to find a way to make knowledge accessible. I'm like, that's awesome. You can do that for some of the stuff at Easy Agile, but I'm just trying to figure out how I help him accelerate that journey. And I know that at some point in time, our paths will diverge but how immensely proud am I going to be if in 10 or 15 years' time he's, he's living in New York, right, and mm-hmm. he's working on, on education and doing whatever and we catch up for lunch and we catch up for lunch and we're overlooking, you know, and we're at Liberty Tower, you know. Like how proud would I be to, to reflect on his journey? Oh. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I get, I get so excited about that. Like how do you get the how do you allow everyone to reach their potential? Wow. Yes. Ah, oh, that's amazing. Yes. Well, Easy Agile co-CEO Nick Muldoon, thank you so much, so much for joining us today and giving us uh, just some fantastic insight in, into the world of, mm-hmm. <laughs> into your world, man. It's a good world to live in. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate your time, Jennifer. Ryan, it's been fun. Thank you. It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs>